NATO was threatening Russia. You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning and welcome back to Money Talk after the long weekend. The time's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Tuesday the 10th of May. This is Peter Lewis with a catch-up of the business and finance headlines. John Lee won the chief executive election in Hong Kong on Sunday, gaining 1,416 votes from the 1,500 members of the election committee. Mr. Lee promised to work to build on Hong Kong's status as an international metropolis by expanding its international connectivity and creating a more favourable business environment. The CE-elect stressed that he'll strive to open Hong Kong up, both to the world at large and to the mainland. Financial Secretary Paul Chan warned on Sunday that the government will have to cut its economic growth forecast for the year when officials announce revised projections later in the week. Writing on his blog, Mr Chan said the recovery of the domestic economy takes time and the persistent uncertainties and heightened risks in the external environment are also not beneficial to Hong Kong's economic situation this year. Chinese export growth fell to its lowest level in two years in April. Exports in dollar terms grew 3.9% from a year earlier, dropping sharply from the 14.7% growth reported in March although slightly better than analysts' forecasts of 3.2%. Chinese Premier Li Keqiang warned Saturday of a complicated and grave employment situation in Shanghai and Beijing. He urged businesses to resume production with COVID-fighting measures in place. And global stocks suffered their worst one-day fall since June 2020, as investors fretted over slowing growth and interest rate rises. The FTSE All World Index of Global Equities dropped 3% and hit its lowest level since December 2020. The gauge has fallen more than 16% this year. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by John Schofield at Tempest Investment and Sunil Kashap of FinMet with a view from Japan is Nick Smith from CLSA. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, US stocks hit their lows of the year in a broad-based sell-off. The S&P 500 breached the 4,000 level for the first time in more than a year, sliding 3.2% to 3,991. The Dow tumbled 654 points to 32,246, ending at its lowest level since November 2020. The Nasdaq Composite slumped 4.3% to 11,623. The Nasdaq is now down over 27% from its record highs. In Europe, the regional stock 600 index dropped 2.9% in its fourth consecutive session of declines. And London's FTSE 100 slid 2.3%. Hong Kong markets were closed for a public holiday yesterday. Last week, the Hang Seng index tumbled 5.2% to end at 20,002. The Hang Seng tech index slumped 9.7% over the last five trading days. Yesterday, the Shanghai Composite rose under 0.1% to 3,004. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil plunged more than 6% to $105.25 a barrel following the disappointing trade data from China, suggesting weaker global demand. Gold is down 1.6% at $1,855 an ounce. In the bond markets, the Treasury curve steepened 
with the gap between two and 30-year rates hitting the widest since mid-March. As short-dated bonds led the gains, the 10-year yield fell 11 basis points to 3.03%, having risen as high as 3.2% earlier in the day. And the US dollar index is unchanged near 20-year highs. The euro is trading at $1.05. The bucks at 130 and a third Japanese yen. Sterling is at $1.23 and a third cents and nine Hong Kong dollars and 68 cents. On the mainland, the Chinese yuan tumbled 1% yesterday following the trade data. Offshore Chinese yuan dropped by 0.6% to below the 6.7 mark. That's the weakest level in 18 months. This morning, it's at 6.75 and a half versus the dollar, having tumbled as low as 6.776. And the crypto market has lost $1.6 trillion in market value since its November high. Bitcoin plunged more than 10% in the past 24 hours to its lowest level since June last year. And this morning, it's trading at $30,100. Asian stock markets opening up in the red in Australia, the SX200 down 0.9%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan off just over 1%. The Cosby in South Korea is down 1.1%. Futures markets are pointing for a plunge of about 700 points for the Hang Seng when trading gets going later on this morning. Let's welcome our guests. Over in our Queensway studio, we have John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investment. Morning to you, John. Good morning, Peter. And also with us is Sunil Kashap, Director at Finmet. Morning, Sunil. Good morning, Peter. Um, Chinese export growth fell to its lowest level in two years in April, according to data released on Monday. Exports in dollar terms grew 3.9% in April from a year earlier, dropping sharply from the 14.7% growth Uh, reported in March, although that was slightly better than analysts' forecasts of 3.2%, and it was the slowest pace since June 2020, as tighter and wider COVID-19 curbs halted factory production and crimped domestic demand, adding to the mainland's economic woes. The sharpest falls when shipments to the EU and US. Imports were broadly stable year on year, improving slightly from a 0.1% fall in March and a bit better than the 3% contraction tipped by economists. John and Sunil, um, so exports at the lowest level um, in two years. Um, It's adding to quite a lot of bad news, isn't it? Because we also had slowdowns uh, in Europe as well, in the manufacturing sectors uh, uh, earlier on this uh, this week. Looks like we're witnessing a bit of a global slump. What do you think? Um, Yes, I I think, um, you know, it's all coming to a head. Um, I'm not sure... uh, you know, China export. Uh, so going to, um, you know, obviously we, we don't really know how much they're slowing, but um, until these supply chain uh, issues and shipping issues are uh, sorted out, then, um, um, you know, it's going to continue to weigh heavily on sentiment. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think again, it's <coughs> a picture where we're probably seeing a turning point uh, coming soon. Um, the fact is that demand so far ha- from the global markets has been good. Um, the the numbers you see in terms of the exports from China, I think, are 
uh, like John mentioned, um, are a little bit skewed because of the um, logistics issues uh, at Shanghai Port. Mm. Uh, but overall, um, the situation in March and April looked okay in terms of demand. The, the, the big issue that we have to look at in the coming weeks, however, is the fact that in the Fed has increased interest rates. Uh, you clearly have uh, um, inflation which is rampant. Prices mm. have gone up for commodities. So how will that play into demand going forward? I think that's the important question. And the problem is China's trade sector is about a third of the mainland's GDP. So it's, it's losing momentum at a time when other sectors like the property <coughs> sector are slowing down as well. Um, is, is this risking a, even a deeper slowdown now in China's economy and beyond? Uh, yes, I, I, I was interested to see that um, uh, the Chinese leadership <coughs> has turned its attention to the, some of the problems being caused uh, and, and rising unemployment uh, by the, you know, the COVID. Um, You're uh, referring to COVID Premier Li Keqiang there saying yes. it was so, complicated um, and grave were his words. Yes. Um, well, this is all very, all very interesting. Be, be, so it'll be, you know, we're waiting to see how, how they're going to actually address um, the sort of symptom of a symptom, if you like. Um, but it's going to involve, it's going to require a lot of sort of micromanagement of every step of the of the supply chain, as far as I can see. So that's going to be a complicated and difficult exercise. And it's also a complicated message because, um, you know, on the one hand, you're saying, you know, you zero COVID and do everything to stop the virus. And on the other hand, you're saying uh, take care of uh, growth and make sure that uh, job creation remains. It's when you just make those statements and it's left to the people on the ground or, or managers on the ground to make decisions. You know, how do you make that happen? Mm. That's the problem. The two aren't compatible, are they? You, you are, if you want to have zero COVID, there's going to be damage to the economy, doesn't there? The, the, isn't that the logical uh, conclusion from that? Yes, and and so the question is, uh, they're they're sort of mandating that there needs to be a balance, uh, but at the same time, when somebody tries to get a balance, um, when when some governor or some city tries to get a balance, um, then they bring you know they they sort of bring the hammer down on him, saying, "How did you allow a few cases of COVID?" Hmm. So I, I think the implementation of those hmm. policy statements is going to be tricky. The, the problem is that there also doesn't seem to be any sign of how this is going to end. We're into what? Mm. The fifth week now, over the fifth week of lockdowns in Shanghai, there are still cases um, mm. and, and no sign at all of the lockdown ever ending. Yes, I think another, another um, revealing statement recently was, um, you know, the, the admission that the medical services uh, across China are uneven and not able to cope and also the um, the problems of vaccinating the 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 elderly across China of course mm. tens of millions uh, of people um, in a it sort of mirrors what's happened in Hong Kong in a, in a rather um, you know in a small way uh, I'm surprised that you know that there isn't a vaccination drive why why are we not hearing about that I mean hundreds of billions of dollars are being spent on mass testing as we're learning it's hugely expensive as well as disruptive um, why can't the same amount of effort be put into vaccination hmm. and 
Are you seeing signs that supply chains are moving the longer this is going on? We're seeing countries in Southeast Asia, which have really sort of moved on now, haven't they, from recovering from COVID to expanding production. Are they replacing Chinese exports to some extent now? I, I think uh, two, two points. Firstly, I mean, it takes time to move supply chains, especially if products are complicated, because it's not just the, the final production point. It's also the supplier's that production point that's important so there's a whole ecosystem that that has to move which takes time uh, to build so i think that's going to be a little bit of more long term you know coming back to the question of you know where what's the light at the end of the tunnel i i think this there's a move if you look at the the terminologies used there's a terminology that now being talked about which is uh, dynamic societal uh, zero covid mm. so where they're talking about limiting the, the spread of COVID rather than limiting the number of cases. Uh, and I think that may be the first step to try to change um, the way that um, the Beijing wants to look at uh, how COVID needs to be contained. But in the meantime, it means that our borders with the mainland are going to remain closed and, and by all uh, sort of intents and purposes, are probably going to remain closed for the rest of the year, aren't they? It seems likely. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I think what we may find is it'll open up for economic purposes, but not for tourism purposes. Mm. But it's hard to do both, isn't it? Because, um, you know, our economy in particular depends very largely on, on tourists and on people being able to travel uh, freely, not just to the mainland, but from international places onto the mainland. It's going to be very hard, isn't it? Yes, that's the challenge for the new CE. Yeah, let me ask you about the markets. We've seen the biggest one-day fall uh, in two years. Um, overnight, the FTSE All World Index dropped 3%. Big falls on Wall Street. We had some big falls also in uh, Chinese markets on Friday. Hong Kong markets closed yesterday. Uh, but the Hang Seng was down 5.2% last week. The tech end index slumped 9.7% uh, as the investors despaired over Chinese leaders' insistence on adhering to the zero COVID policy. Um, we, we seem to be seeing quite a significant repricing now, um, aren't we? And also maybe a significant dislocation um, in global markets. Is this all being driven by the Fed? Um, well, it's Fed plus, <clears throat> and obviously the, uh, the, the, the shutdown in China, the war in Ukraine, all these things are converging. Um, for, to a perfect storm for the market. Um, we're looking at um, looking at the picture in the US in particular, um, and this has historically been the case that the, the US will be able to sort of fairly brutally uh, reprice, as you put it. Um, while I think in the short term there's more pain to come for equities, particularly uh, the NASDAQ index and so on, um, it won't be too long before we're starting to see... Um, to see signs of, of, of value and so on and, and investors accumulating Well, what would stocks. you be looking for to um, say that's happened? Well, I think, um, well, you get a sort of climatic sell-off. I think the bond market is also probably close to uh, stabilizing in the U.S. Um, it's noticeable that, you know, short-term interest have been put out to 1%. Well, we can hardly blame that for, for a meltdown in the markets, but the, uh, the longer end... The bond market has already, you know, moved up to the three percent uh, range, which is probably sustain. If we're going to get a, a, a bit of a recession or downturn, 
um, then uh, that starts to look um, attractive. So when stocks have repriced to that kind of uh, discount rate, long-term discount rate, then they'll be able to start to, to find a bottom. Yeah, in my view, I think uh, the driver for the sell-off uh, really, in my view, is largely um, the fact that there was a lot of leverage in the system. And so what you're seeing now is a lot of the speculative asset groups, which were funded by uh, cheap money, by leveraging um, or, or using cheap money, those positions are being unwound. Mm. Um, and so at some point, and, and we're probably coming to the close to that point where once the leverage trades are out, then people start seeking um, value and looking at um, stocks or assets where they can see real cash flows um, in the future. What do you make of the Fed's warning yesterday in their financial stability reports that a sharp rise in interest rates could cause a larger correction in asset prices? And in particular, uh, they were warning that trading conditions were deteriorating um, and, and these wild swings were being exacerbated by a decline in liquidity. Um, yes, but that that's, uh, was entirely predictable and possibly even what they were trying to achieve in one sense is to prick this um prick these asset bubbles because they're not healthy from long term as, we, as we've had massive asset inflation for for a decade um but only now is real world inflation if you like starting to starting to come through mm. um so pricking the asset bubble will will probably also help the uh, the real uh, real-life inflation to, to to ease. Yeah, and you know, I think it's an important <clears throat> it's an important change in the Fed. <clears throat> you know, for almost seven, eight years, maybe it's since the financial crisis, they've been so concerned about growth, job uh, job uh, growth, um, economic growth, etc., that uh, they've not really focused on inflation, and inflation has been low. <clears throat> I think clearly now what they're doing is they're saying we've shifted mindset. We don't mind. Um, financial assets to see a steady decline uh, as long as job growth is good, as long as economic growth continues at the level it's been uh, going recently. Uh, and for us now, the focus is going to be inflation. And that may bring along with it certain knock-on impact in terms of financial assets, especially assets which were leveraged. So does that mean that the, the famous Fed put has now gone? They don't really, Because before there was always this assumption that if the Fed acted too quickly and went too far and the market started tumbling, they would step in to sort of stabilise the market and, and reverse course. But that's not going to happen uh, this time, is it? Uh, it certainly doesn't look like it. And um, as Sonal said, I think we've seen a, a complete shift in, uh, in the approach here. Um, and it's worth pointing out that, at least in the US, you know, jobs growth is is still strong um there's a certain amount of inflation um we're also seeing um you know certain a lot of commodity prices including oil price suddenly coming off quite sharply which uh, which will help to uh, to bear down on inflation over mm. over the next few months so so it may not be as bad as we also the decline is interesting right you see it every day, 2-3% every day. Mm. So it's not as if a 20% or 15% washout day. Mm. Um, so in every, um, if you look at interest rates, they're going up steadily 5-10 basis points every every other day. 
I, if you look at the stock market, it's declining two or three percent every day. So, I think from that point of view, mm. what the Fed is looking at is okay. As long as the markets are operating in an orderly fashion, um, they, they don't really need mm. to step in. The, the problem is, though, we don't know how high the Fed has got to go to control inflation. The Fed probably doesn't know itself either. That, that's the real risk, isn't it? And the risk is that it could be way higher than what even the markets are thinking at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think the one important number is on tomorrow, on Wednesday. Yes. Um, the CPI number is going to be a very important number. Um, some economists are expected to see signs that the... Um, the Fed action is beginning to uh, impact inflation. Um, if that happens, um, then I think we will all uh, breathe a sigh of relief. But um, the next few weeks, the data, the price data is going to be very important. So it's all about inflation, isn't it? Pretty well wherever you look. Yes. Well, I think uh, just continuing on that point, the uh, at some point we'll get an equilibrium, as I say, between. I'm focusing mainly on the bond, bond yields because the Fed is still, in terms of raising those short-term interest rates to 2.5 or where, wherever they're heading, they're obviously still uh, still lagging significantly. So it's what the what the bond market. But uh, well, once you get an equilibrium or perceived equilibrium between um, uh, you know P/E ratios for the S&P 500, for example, and the uh, and the 10-year bond yield. Um, then we should see some stability start to return. Okay, well, thank you both very much. That's John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investments, Sunil Kashap, who is Director at FinMet. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Times 8, 24 and a half. Let's go over to Tokyo and talk with Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA. Morning, Nick. Good morning, Jeff. So talking about inflation, continuing that uh, theme, uh, there was an increase in data, uh, Friday's data showed a stronger than expected increase in inflation in Tokyo. Is this going to make it uh, trickier for the Bank of Japan to continue with its stimulus? Well, I think that the uh, the chances are that the bankers of Japan are certainly going to come under some um, some criticism. So, four and a half trillion dollars worth of uh, of money printing, and the only thing that really goes up is food prices. You couldn't have picked a more socially divisive area to get your inflation in. Um, so, obviously, the poorer you are, the uh, the higher your percentage of uh, spending is in in food, and obviously the the spread between rich and poor has uh, has gone up in in recent years in Japan. So so it's a problem. So when we look at those numbers, 2.5% um, inflation in Tokyo, and, and National will follow it um, in, say, 10 days. Um, if you look at the way wages have gone, well, wages, excluding seniority and promotions, uh, what the Japanese call base up, is only 0.7%. So 0.7 against 2.5 um, against is beginning to look pretty horrible. What was the government thinking when it decided to push up prices? without a plan to get wages up. Uh, mm. And so that's the massive failure. But the other thing that really surprised me in the, uh, the wage numbers is, so if you're a regular employee, you've got 0.7%, but temps have got 2.3%. So it's like there's a loyalty discount. Thanks very much for coming in, in every day. You're the person that's going to pay for that. Mm. And, uh, and presumably the longer this inflation lasts and also the weaker the yen gets, uh, the, the greater the chances are the BOJ is going to have to make some kind of policy adjustments, isn't it? Because public discontent is going to grow. 
Of course it is. Um, I mean, it's not just from um, from people within Japan, and Japan's got up house election on the the 10th of July, so this is going to be a problem. But it's also going to be from uh, from the U.S. So the U.S. has just had a trade uh, deficit that beats all records by a very, very long way. So they're going to be a little bit unhappy about uh, BOJ policies that uh, sub- substantially uh, weaken the uh, the currency. So, uh, and all of this is at ha- happening at a time when we're about to come up for um, election of a new BOJ governor. So mm. I think the chances are that uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure for them to appoint someone who is a lot less extreme than Kuroda was. Mm. And uh, but if um, have they thought through really what the policy implications are of actually hitting their inflation target for what the first time in decades really isn't it we haven't seen I know it's only around two percent but nevertheless by Japan standards it, it's pretty high. Well, of course, it's it's extremely high. So, um, over the last um, over the last three decades, wages have gone essentially sideways in Japan, mm. where, whereas they're up forty eight percent in the US. And you, you cannot really get inflation while you can't get uh, wages up. The, the two are, um, are joined together, and, and the, the money printing that they've had has just made the problem worse by. Um, by sending uh, real wage growth negative. So, yes, this is going to be um, a serious problem. I think that the focus has really got to change from um, from prices to, uh, to wage hikes mm. uh, and try and understand how it has been that... Um, that wages have been so weak. And what I found was so interesting is that... Um, is that profits have tripled since 1995 and uh, and wages have gone sideways. And how much is inflation in Japan correlated uh, to the labour market? Because we know that Japan is is running out of people, basically, isn't it, to work? Yeah, I was surprised that it's highly correlated. Of course, um, uh, uh, the the best measure of the tightness of the labour market, one from um, from the BOJ, also correlates quite tightly with the tightness of um, uh, productive capacity. Uh, and so, um, in a way, it's not surprising. But the uh, the two of them say, yeah, um, a shrinking population ought to cause you. Um, extreme uh, labour shortage that ultimately ought to, to generate uh, wage inflation and, and, and more, uh, more general inflation. Mm. But I think the, uh, between the two of them happening, what we have is, is uh, serious political pain, um, as people quite rightly are angered that, um, that although the BOJ's action has been highly in, um, ineffective, um, it's it caused real problem for, her, for working people. Well, what does this all mean for, for investment when you look at uh, the, the Japanese market? We've seen the yen now go through 130. Uh, we, we've noticed that uh, Japanese investors are dumping foreign bonds uh, now with both hands and feet. What, what does it mean? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I said at the beginning of the year that uh, the Japanese market would do very nicely, but for goodness sake, um, hedge the currency. And that's certainly been the case. So, um, so far, the, um, the year-to-date topics is off uh, 7.5%, whereas um, you know, the S&P is off uh, 16% in local currency terms, and, uh, uh, and Europe's off even more than that. So in local currency terms, it's fine, and you just had to hedge the, uh, the currency. I think the chances are that the... Uh, 
um, the yen will stabilize a little bit stronger than it is at the moment. I think obviously you need to be um, lightening up on, on cyclicals at the moment. Um, I think that um, the labor shortage, um, so recruitment, uh, uh, automation, and of course nuclear restarts um, are going to be major themes over the next, um, next couple of months. Nick, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. That's Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And around Asia, stocks are slipping even further into the red now. In Australia, the SX200 is off 2.4%. Japan's Nikkei 225 is down 1 and 3 quarter percent. Cosby in South Korea is off over 2% as well. And futures markets pointing to decline of about 750 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Coming up after the news, COVID updates with Jim Gould and Ada Wong. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, few showers. Uh, those showers are going to be more frequent with a few thunderstorms later. Maximum temperature will be around 28 degrees and then there's going to be continuous showers in the middle and latter parts of this week, which are going to be um, heavy at times. Temperature right now is 26 degrees, relative humidity 87%. Just gone 8.31 and a half, here's Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. Initial results from the Philippines election body show the presidential contender, Ferdinand Mar- Marcos Jr., is heading for a landslide win. Mr. Marcos, n- known locally as Bong Bong, appears to have more than twice the number of votes of his main rival, the outgoing vice president, Lenny Robredo. The BBC's Howard Johnson is in Manila. If this continues this way, Philippine history will turn on its head tonight because more than 30 years ago, the Marcos family were ousted in disgrace because they were seen as corrupt, a brutal dictatorship for more than two decades, much of it during martial law. But what we've seen is the rewriting of history, the glorification of the Marcos family, removing all the extrajudicial killings, the tortures, and instead presenting the big ticket infrastructure projects. All of this stuff has been pumped out on social media and it seems that the Philippine people are ready to give this family a second chance. Police in Sri Lanka have fired warning shots to deter thousands of protesters who breached the front gate of the Prime Minister's official residence and set fire to a truck. It's thought that Mahinda Rajapaksa, who yesterday resigned as Prime Minister, is holed up inside. The BBC's Embarasan Thirajan sent this report while on his way to Colombo. There have been protests against the government for the past few weeks due to what they say as government's mismanagement of the economy. For weeks, people have been demanding the resignation of Mr. Mahindraja Paksha and his elder brother, President Gothabaya. But the protests got violent after people who are believed to be supporters of Mr. Paksha attacked anti-government protesters who have been holding protests in Colombo and in other places. The government has imposed a curfew and stepped up security across the nation. New York's Attorney General Letitia James has proposed legislation which will enable the state to fund access to abortion for people from parts of the U.S. where the procedure is banned. The BBC's Not a Tofik reports. Attorney General Letitia James said New York would not go back to the dark times when women were unable to control their own bodies. She vowed to fight to keep abortion safe and accessible for all who need it. The proposed legislation would fund abortion providers to help women regardless of their ability to pay or their insurance status. It would also award grant funds to nonprofit organizations that provide support to people who travel to New York. The legislation would prohibit the state from tracking information about patients to protect their privacy. 
A clash between rival prison gangs in Ecuador has led to the deaths of at least 43 inmates. The authorities say they've arrested more than 100 other inmates who were trying to escape during the riots, which began in the early hours. The security forces say they are, they're now in control of the situation at the Bella Vista prison. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to COVID Update. 